0: Is your four-year-old gender fluid? Well, now you can send him or her or Zim or Zur to transgender summer camp for kids in, where else? The San Francisco Bay Area. Plus, we'll have roaming millennial Amanda Prestigiacomo and Jacob Airy join the panel of deplorables to discuss, speaking of the youths, social media depression among kids, President Trump's tough talk on North Korea, and the urgent need for the government to regulate sex robots. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. around later too because we're going to have a final thought that is identifying as stuff I like because today is book lovers day so I'll be giving out some book reviews as a best-selling non-writing author I think it's my place to tell you all what you should be reading <laughs> for the next uh, over the rest of the summer rather so we have to talk about rainbow day camp it is a camp in the San Francisco Bay Area for transgender toddlers the ages of the people who go are four to 12. The parents of the people who go are obviously abusive and very confused. Um, So this camp is not new. This camp's been around for three years. It just made big headlines recently because the enrollment has increased by three times just this year. So obviously transgenderism is in the air. We're talking about it all the time in the culture. And apparently this has been good business for transgender youth camp. Uh, One of the directors said, it has been a sea change. Maybe we can even call it a tsunami in the number of little kids showing up with their families. And so when the kids show up, even when they're four years old, they are asked when they register which pronoun they would prefer to be called by. And it's either she or he or Z or whatever. And for the record, Marshall, I would only like to be referred to with the pronoun, sir. Sir or master no in the candy, accusative. Michael, no Sir candy. in the, well, make a note and we'll talk about it later. Uh, luckily, we have obtained a letter from one of the attendees of this camp. We get access to great stuff at this show. We have obtained a letter. C- can we play it?
1: Take me home, oh motherfucker. take me home. I hate Granada Dome. Leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home. I promise I will not make noise. Or
0: mess. So uh, trans camp is apparently like a uh, band camp. You know, it's just like any, it's much more socially isolating, obviously, and confusing. But it's just like any other camp. You go to basketball camp, you go to uh, baseball camp, whatever. Um, there, it is a little interesting in that for most summer camps that we think of are camps to do something. So I, I had to go to basketball camp when I was a kid one time. It, it turned out about as you would expect, I think. Um, but this is a camp about who you are imagining yourself to be, who you deeply think yourself to be. And obviously, adolescence is a very confusing time. We take on a lot of different identities that we try out. No joke, when I was when I was four years old, I did identify as Batman for about a month. I had people call me Batman, seriously. And that's just at a very imaginative time. These parents are obviously taking it to be some deep, profound, immutable fact of their child's existence and sending this to the, their camp. It can't possibly be good, but you know, even the founder of this camp, Sandra Collins admits, quote, a decade ago, the camp wouldn't have existed. Eventually I do believe it won't be so innovative. She's probably right. She said, I didn't know you could be transgender at a very young age, but my daughter knew for sure at two. I don't know if that's exactly right. What could go wrong with allowing your two-year-old to deny the facts of their biology and to deny reality to their parents? Well. There are a lot of scientific data on this that I think the mainstream media hate are ignoring. Speech. And I'm sorry if I know these scientific data are, that, that is called hate speech if you're at Google or uh, you work for the mainstream journalist outlets. Um, but we, we know there are high rates of post-op regret People who transition from one gender to another, they undergo surgery to look more like the the other sex, and they regret it later. Uh, some of these studies put the number at 20%. So one in five people who undergo this process and these surgeries, according to some studies, regret it, ultimately go back, or they are just upset that they made that decision. Um, most children who identify as transsexual or as the other sex the vast majority of those kids will change their mind by the time they become adults. They go on to lead perfectly normal lives. As one study puts that number as high as 80%. 80% of kids who identify they're a boy, but they think they're a girl, will change their mind by the time they pass through puberty and enter into adulthood. Now, there, there was a review of more than 100 international medical studies. So this is a, a meta-analysis of all these studies that found, quote, no robust scientific evidence that gender reassignment surgery is clinically effective. And this is why Paul McHugh, who was a pioneer of this surgery at Johns Hopkins, he was chair of the, psychology at Johns Hopkins, he stopped doing the surgery because, quote, There's little scientific evidence for the therapeutic value of interventions that delay puberty or modify the secondary sex characteristics of adolescents. There is no evidence that all children who express gender, atypical thoughts, or behavior should be encouraged to become transgender. And that's what, you know, trans is in the news all the time. You can't escape it. For some reason, an issue that affects A vanishingly small percentage of the population is all anybody wants to talk about anymore, especially on the left. But what is really worth talking about here is that we're we're talking about kids. So if you put a kid on this road, you tell a four-year-old boy that he's really a girl, that's going to lead to a lot of confusion. But if you tell a prepubescent kid, that, that you indulge in these delusions and that the boy is really a girl and you suppress their puberty hormones, you're mutilating them for life. I mean, that, that damage is not easily undone if it's possible to fix it at all. And uh, you, you know there are people who have gone through this when they were children who have come to regret it. We have their testimonies, they talk about it. He, here is one example.
1: Hi, uh, my name's Carrie. I'm a 22-year-old detransition woman. Um, I was a pediatric transitioner, so I started medical transition when I was underage. And uh, I stopped transitioning nearly a year ago. Um, and for me, detransition involves you know, a lot of thought and a lot of unlearning of, of what I understood about myself. Um, when I was transitioning, I felt a lot of intense, very intense body dysphoria. Um, that felt very innate and very integral at the time to, to the way I perceived myself and the world. Uh, and what I came to realize eventually was that this was not the case. Um, that there were all these factors that played into my dysphoria. Uh, dissociation and feelings of inferiority for being female and depression, body dysmorphia. You know, all of these things contributing to this kind of general sense of alienation, sense of, of otherness from, from the people around me and specifically from other women.
0: That's, and there there are these conditions that go along with gender dysphoria. There is a two to three times increase in likelihood if you're if you have gender dysphoria that you'll suffer from some other mental affliction, including anxiety or depression or so on and so forth. Uh, obviously, we, we know that the suicide rates, according to most studies, are identical pre and post op, and the left and people who support the transgenderist, transgenderism movement would say, "Well, that's social stress. The kids are bullied at school. If we just stop bullying them, those rates go away." There's there's very little evidence of this. There's that might be a factor, but there's no reason to believe that that's the main factor or uh, or the you know the sole factor when it comes to all of these other conditions that accompany gender dysphoria. Let's, let's let Carrie keep going on.
1: Um, so when I was transitioning, every every step of transition really, really felt like this huge high of relief from dysphoria, um, but sooner or later, you know, it would come back in another form. Um, so, you know, once I was on testosterone, I, I wanted to change my name. Once I changed my name, I wanted a mastectomy. Once I had a mastectomy, I wanted a hysterectomy, a uh, bottom surgery, so, so on and so forth. Um, this is a really common topic in trans circles, um, you know, shifting dysphoria, and at some point, I. I realized that that wasn't going to stop. Transition didn't really make my dysphoria better. It just kind of kept moving the goalposts. So,
0: moving the goalposts is exactly the point. The issue here is that Carrie, this girl, was treating the symptoms of her psychological condition, but she wasn't treating the root cause of it. If there is a even is a way to treat the root cause of it, and so it just kept moving. The more she Transition. the more she did, the more she had to do, the more she felt that she had to do. And Carrie started transitioning, going through this process at 17. She was underage. Now, you know how crazy 17-year-olds are. You know how crazy you were at 17, how different you were at 17 than you are uh, as an adult. No,
2: Michael, I'm exactly
0: the same. Well, this kid, Marshall's exactly the same. Marshall hasn't matured physically or emotionally since he was seven. But for most people, they do change over time. And... Imagine if she wasn't 17. Imagine if she were seven. Imagine if she were four years old, which is what's going on at this camp in San Francisco. Cannot be good. The, uh, there's another example of not just uh, people who went through this as kids, but also people who went through the transition uh, and changed their their gender when they were adults, regretting it uh, not long after. Uh, here's an example. He, he's pretty prominent. He's talked about this and written books about it. Walt Heyer, who went through the surgery and uh, experienced regret years later. Do we have him?
2: Here with us now by Skype is speaker and author of several books addressing sex change regret, Walt Heyer. Walt, thanks for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
2: Now, first of all, not only have you done extensive research on sex change surgery, you've been through the process yourself, but you say it fixed nothing. What can you share with us about that?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, when people go through this gender change, there's uh, very high expectations that you know, their life is just gonna be wonderful and everything's gonna be great. And I, I can tell you the way it starts, that was true for me. But then there's a, a time, what I call, when you kind of begin to sober up and realize that gender reassignment surgery really doesn't make you a female. It's much more to being a woman than just having some cosmetic surgery and hormones.
0: So it didn't fix the problem for Walt. He, and he lived for eight years as a woman, uh, appearing to be a woman and wearing women's clothing, but it didn't it didn't fix the problem. And this surgery that he's now reversed or, or tried to fix by other surgical means ha- has really damaged his life. He talks openly about that. And he was encouraged by others to do it. And that's what we're seeing a lot in the culture now. Uh, Bruce Jenner was encouraged by a lot of people to transform into Caitlyn Jenner. These kids are being encouraged by their parents at age four to uh, indulge in this delusion. And it is it pulls on the heartstrings a little bit because it's a real affliction. And also because men and women don't look that different, especially like someone like Marshall, you know, I mean, if you put Marshall next to a woman, Whoa, it would be very di- different. Well, I'll use another example. If I put on these glasses, I am indistinguishable from Rachel Maddow, but the, and, and so obviously men and women are of the same species. They share a lot of physical traits. Um, just, just ask Google about that. But the, the, psychological problems, and and therefore the philosophical problems that come up with it, are a little clearer when you look at other forms of body dysmorphia and delusion. Here, There is an extreme example, a guy whose name is Stalking Cat, Dennis Abner. Do we have it?
1: Dennis never considered himself human. In Dennis's eyes, his transformation is only a formality.
0: Everything I see and do, I relate to as a cat. I'm told I purr in my sleep, so... <laughs> but there's this guy, a stalking cat. He he is a man who, I think he was in the Navy, and then he decided to get $200,000 worth of surgery to tattoo his face, pull up his cheeks, have whiskers sticking out, cut off parts of his ears, all so that he could appear more like a cat, because he was under the impression that he really, deep down inside somewhere, is a cat. He has cat-like abilities and what have you. And it's it's a funny story. Obviously, it, it is out there. It looks kind of ridiculous, but it, it's really sad because this is a real human being. And the uh, we can see much more clearly what happens when we indulge delusion, when it's not just a boy becoming like a girl, when boys and girls can look like each other, but when it's a boy tr- tr- trying to look like an animal or something to that effect. Uh, th- this is ultimately, I think, what brings up the central flaw in the left's embrace of transgenderism, the central contradiction, which is that the left on the one hand says, men and women are exactly the same. They're indiscernible, that just talked to Go- Google fired a guy for contradicting this yesterday. Uh, men can do everything that women can do and vice versa. There are no categorical differences. On the other hand, they're saying that the sexes are so totally different that if you feel that you are a certain way metaphysically, or you really want to be a different way metaphysically, you should undergo costly, painful and extensive surgery just to have the cosmetic appearance of looking like that other sex. They've never been able to resolve this conflict. And I think that's why, uh, I think it has shown one of the major uh, paradoxes at the heart of leftist intersectional hierarchies. But. Now that we've talked about the transgender camp, now that we've talked about leftist hierarchies, we have to get to the exciting part of the show, our panel of deplorables. We have with us again, Roaming Millennial, you know her from all the YouTubes, The Daily Wire's favorite, Amanda Giacomo, and for some reason, Jacob Ari is back. Uh, roaming, are we being unfair here? These children can suffer intensely, they get bullied. Why shouldn't we ship them off to transgender camp?
4: Well, I think, you know, to answer the first question that you posed at the beginning of the show, is your child gender fluid? Um, Regardless of how you feel about the transgender issue, I think we could all agree that nobody is gender fluid at all. It's just not a real thing. I always try not Um, to
0: talk about gender (laughs) fluids. I find it very impolite. But I agree with you, probably. That's true.
4: (laughs) Right. And, you know, when it... I, I... mentioned this the last time I was on with you guys, but when it comes to children, I think trying to impose these sort of gender ideologies, it is child abuse. And, you know, a lot of people say, no, you know, it's just, we want what's best for the kids. This isn't, you know, any sort of indoctrination. They're actually, they're well-documented instances. Anytime you hear about these, uh, you know, these transgender child children activists? I mean, they're not, you know what I mean. Uh, A lot of them are either themselves trans or have been trans activists before their children were born. And you got to think to yourself, okay, wait, only a fraction of a percent of people in the general population is actually trans. So what is the likelihood of a trans person or someone who is already a trans activist then having a trans child? It's like, no, I think there's definitely a case where as a parent, these people are inflicting their ideologies and their their views on gender onto their children, and it's something that I think a lot of children are gonna have issues dealing with as they grow up. It
0: has become very ideological. I mean, that is why, just as you said, there are not a lot of these people in the world. You know, There are a handful of these, these people around, and yet it's all we hear about. It's all we're talking about. There are TV shows about it. It's always in the news, but there doesn't appear to be a cure. So Amanda, if there isn't a cure for this at the moment, if there's really, doesn't seem to be an effective way to reduce uh, suicide rates or depression, Surgically, then why shouldn't we just tell these people to call themselves whatever name they want and uh, pretend to be whatever sex they want?
2: Yeah, um, I mean it's re- it's particularly we shouldn't, and uh, it's because you know this is really tied to depression, this is a psychological disorder. Um, so like mutilating your body, I mean, it's like getting a knee surgery when you popped out your shoulder. It's not it's not addressing the issue at all. Um, we should not be encouraging this, especially, I mean, particularly with children who, as you said, grow out of this confusion. I mean, we're just basically indoctrinating, you know, Tommy, the two-year-old, who says he's a dinosaur on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, he's a girl. Like, now he's no, Tammy, you the two-year-old. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> right. You would actually parent your child. And, you know, I think, I mean, 80% of these kids, that's, a, that's the lone number, um, grow out, you know, for, for these studies, grow out of this confusion. We should not be pushing this on them. I mean, kids are being mutilated. There are a lot of victims of this. Um, it's it's really vile stuff. And anyone who speaks out against it, this is the worst part, you're labeled as transphobic, that you hate uh, you know people who suffer from this mental disorder. No, I mean, there's actual real damage to this. and this is a political movement. You know they, they hate the nuclear family, they hate you know, they, they kind of are contradicting feminism because they want sameness, but then all of a sudden, you know, men and women are, are so different. You can transition. It's just, it's a, it's a hot mess and it's a really nasty political movement that is hurting people and creating a lot of victims.
0: Stunning bigotry from Amanda Prestigiacomo. But that is a <laughs> real, you both bring up this interesting point, which is that it's, it's child abuse. It looks like child yeah. abuse. It is parents mutilating their children before, not, but not only before they can consent, but before they go through puberty and, and they're making a decision that will impact the rest of their lives. Jacob, we can conservatives are very skeptical of government interference should the government step in here should the government come in and stop parents from uh, encouraging this in their children
3: i think it depends on the situation and in some cases where the parent is just like oh you think you're a girl go along with it but maybe in the circumstances where as amanda points out that they're actually causing physical harm to their kids then then yes i think that is where the government needs to step in it's like hey is, is your child actually feeling this way or is this just a a phase they're going through i I had a friend who was a skater girl she she uh, wore uh, t-shirts and ripped blue jeans and um, skateboarded all the time but she was about as girly girl as you could get could you imagine if she had these trans activist parents she's like oh my gosh you must be a boy (laughs) could you imagine what that would have done to her but instead they just let her go and she grew out of her skateboarding phase.
2: What, what happened I was basically to tom- like a boy Sorry. growing up. I, I, I <laughs> like I, my dad was a wrestling coach, yeah. a football coach. Like I went to all the practices. Like if I was being, if I was born like, you know, five years ago, they would have told me I was a boy. Like it's insane. <laughs> I mean, it, whatever it's happened like- to the tomboy, is that not allowed? It's like gender stereotypes are <laughs> amplified on the
4: left. The people who condemn them, it doesn't make any sense.
3: Yeah, it's mind blowing.
4: That's true like at at one one point gender is nothing but also gender is everything like at one point gender is a social construct but it's also something biologically that we are and we can tell through our different brains like you have to pick one i mean you could go for either one but just be consistent that's
0: right i also have a very hard time believing amanda was ever a tomboy but i will take your word for it okay we need to move on now we need to get to the news which means that all of you dirty cheapskates who don't pay for the daily wire you don't get to hear the rest you don't get to see the panel you don't get to Engage with us on the news unless you go to dailywire.com and pay $10 per month, $100 a year, and you will get also the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Keeps your Leftist Tears hot or cold, always salty and delicious. Not only do you get my show and the wonderful panel of deplorables, but you get the Ben Shapiro show, which is, I think right now, the number two highest ranked podcast in the country.
3: What number are we, Michael?
0: Oh, We're at number 10 in news and politics, I think, 10 or 11. But Ben is one spot behind Oprah, so you've got to go help and push him over. And you get The Andrew Clavin Show, which is also ranked very high. I think all three of the shows are ranked in the top 25. So it, it, what a deal. What a $10 a month. Unbelievable. Go to dailywire.com right now. Subscribe. We'll be right back. Now we have important news to get to. President Trump warned yesterday, quote, I love him so much. He warned, North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. This may be the greatest international threat since the Gipper. I just want to pull this up. This is my favorite one. Do we have it?
2: My fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today
3: that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. (laughs) We begin bombing
0: in five minutes. <laughs> Almost as good as, uh, as the Gipper himself. He was kidding, Ronald Reagan was. Or was he? He did outlaw Russia forever. Roaming, was Trump's threat reckless and rash? Or was it pitch perfect and very enjoyable?
4: Well, something that I I think it's great that you included was the fact that he prefaced that phrase with a, you know, if, you, if North Korea continues to make threats against the United States, right? Because I feel like a lot of the reporting about this quote has a, forgotten to mention that conveniently and sort of try to paint Trump as the aggressor in this situation. And look, um, I'm not sure I would ever use phrases like, you know, fire and power just from a, I don't know, hyperbolic, this is real life, not over the rings um, sort of approach. <laughs> I'm not convinced it is anymore, North- but
0: sure, go ahead.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but I think if there's ever a time to have a strong hand when it comes to international relations, North Korea and the possibility... Of you know, nuclear escalation is one of them, and I think that people who are trying to paint this as a necessary instance of aggression from Trump, they're they're like like I said, not looking at the entire quote in context, and they're also not realizing just how bad things have gotten over the past eight years. And look, uh, you know. Regardless of how you think Trump is handling this at the moment, you you definitely can't say that he is the one who created this situation, right? This, this ongoing uh, hostility between North Korea and the United States is something that's been happening for a long time since Clinton.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Bill Clinton ignored it. George W. Bush was otherwise occupied. Barack Obama obviously did nothing about it. I think Ben Rhodes was, he tweeted out something the other day to the effect of, you know, this all started before us, uh, even though we had time to fix it. Because no one in the Obama administration can take responsibility for any single thing at all. Um, now, Roman, yeah. you're over there in Asia, and Amanda, you are up in Canada, New York, safely ensconced in the woods. But we're in LA, <laughs> Jacob. I'm in New and York. I. Yeah. What What is going to happen? Are we about to be incinerated? What's the threat level from them actually shooting some missiles over? Um, well,
2: I'm, I'm in New York, so I can't escape. No, from but, Canada, in, but you're I'm in
0: Canada, back. New York. You're up in like you know a stone's <laughs> oh! throw.
2: <laughs> okay, I get it. I get it.
0: Um, no, that one didn't land. They can't all be winners, folks.
2: You know, sometimes <laughs> things go over my head. But um, no, I don't think I don't think we're any. So, a couple things. Like, I don't I don't think Trump's rhetoric or anything like that has put us at you, you know heightened um, danger or anything like that. I think that uh, Kim, little Kim, is is crazy. Yes, but he's not stupid, and he knows that he will be. You know annihilate i think i think people who study this have the consensus that basically he just doesn't want regime change and he's flexing his muscles he knows that he will be annihilated if he, if he does something i think that's kind of the, the consensus around this um but at the same time we don't want him to keep making advances so we need to find a way to uh to make this china's problem because you know they they don't want refugees coming in there i mean they have they they do have some stake in this so i think trump's saying that he's going to continue work with china to you know. Kind of stop their funding and not let them keep advancing their, you know, their nukes, um, and then, you know, we can we can just kind of handle that until then. But I don't think the 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 danger is heightened. Um, I think that I think they kind of know that they they will get annihilated by America and her allies.
0: I have to disagree with your analysis, not in the take of the threat level, but in your pronunciation of China. It is a hard ch- China, <laughs> Jacob. Why hasn't Dennis Rodman straightened this out yet? Hmm?
3: Well, because he was an overrated basketball player and he's an overrated ambassador. But in all seriousness, what I- hate speech? <laughs> what disgusting
0: hate speech? Why do we have them on?
3: But in all seriousness, I actually, uh, I actually think that President Trump was totally appropriated, uh, appropriate in Fire and Fury because. Not moments, I think hours before even, Kim Jong-un specifically said we're going to bomb, I believe it was Guam. So yes, of course. I, if I was president, I would absolutely say, hey, we are going to meet this with fire, fury, and power. And also, you know, what, if President Obama or Hillary Clinton was still, or if Hillary Clinton, God forbid, was president, what would she say? Oh, that naughty little Kim. I mean, you know, what is, what is she going to do? She's going to, you know, I hear she's going to pursue a career in, in ministry. Obviously, <laughs> is, you know, is not foreign yeah. policy, right?
0: Yes. Father, I think the Father. The threat on Guam
3: was after. Oh, it was after? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but, so I mean, like, but there's like a
2: WAPO story that said that they were like, you know, they had a warhead, or, like a miniature warhead or whatever. And then um, they're making threats because we sanctioned them. And then Trump made those comments and then they said they were going to uh,
3: attack WAM and they never, they won't. Oh, of course they won't because he's a coward. I mean, he, like, it's, it's just like you said, he's just going to flex well, his muscles. No one's going to annihilate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. My main takeaway from this whole discussion is, it, is the phrase, Little Kim. Roman, go ahead. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, in, in any case, it's not as if Uh, you know, Kim Jong-un's administration was a rational actor before this, right? I mean, they're actually, uh, (laughs) you know, North Korean state-run propaganda pieces of, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the piece where the little kid is dreaming of a nuke being sent over to the U.S. Right? I mean, this this is one country that is obviously an aggressor.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that makes me unhappy. You know what else might be making people unhappy? Smartphones. The Atlantic just ran a feature article titled, have smartphones destroyed a generation? Quote, more comfortable online than out partying, post-millennials are safer physically than adolescents have ever been, but they're on the brink of a mental health crisis. They don't go out, they don't go on dates, they stay in the house. My question, why would a 13-year-old go on dates when he can interact with roaming millennial on YouTube from the comfort of his own smartphone? Is roaming, is interacting behind a digital wall so different from interacting in person?
4: Well, you know, this is something that I I feel conflicted talking about because, you know, on the one hand, I love ragging on millennials as much as anyone, right? They're awful. But on the other hand, I'm also this massive introvert who loves the fact that you can kind of be interactive with people and be social online while at the same time, you know, being at home, not wearing any pants. It's It's an amazing mix. We're Roaming millennial, not this wearing this any skating. pants. You
0: heard it on the Michael Knowles show. This is this is, by the way, this is why we're number ten. It's all these kind of cheap tricks like that. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead.
4: Well, that's why. That's why cameras always, from like you know. Up. <laughs> but you know, I think I think it's the fact that you know, not only are we seeing an increase in te- technological advances, but we're also seeing sort of, I feel, a more hands-off approach to parenting that we haven't seen before. So I wouldn't necessarily say that this is technology technology's fault. I just think it's the fact that you know. When I was younger, I used to get kicked out of the house and get told to play outside. I could have still been playing, you know, well, at home on TV, right? I mean, the fact that outside is still there, I think, is like being ignored by a lot of parents who are probably also on their own smartphones and electronic devices.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. That's true. There's a, there's a lot yeah. of uh, candy crush to play. Jacob, is it just curmudgeonly <laughs> old people who don't understand the youths or is there a real threat of social isolation here?
3: I think it's a mixture of both and and we have to be very careful about how we categorize this because there are just truly introverted people who who prefer interaction online and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But again, we also need to monitor how that is done because we want, I mean, by we, I mean, whoever, parents, siblings, guardians, they need to be monitoring these kids and like, okay, is this person really an introvert or are they getting, uh, are they getting trapped into this big web? I,
0: Do they only identify as an introvert?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, there are, there are predators online who take advantage of some of these people who have social anxieties. You that, seem
0: to know a lot about this, Jacob. <laughs> well, you know,
3: what, what can I say? You know, I I, re- I read the, I read the mainstream media. This is what they're telling me. But you know we do have to we do have to be careful that uh, about this because there, I believe that there's a, a, a gang going around called the Blue Well Challenge where they manipulate people with social anxiety who are online and then. They asked them to commit suicide, and it's it's a growing problem in Europe, and it's even reached the United States. So yes, parents, guardians should definitely be monitoring their kids' online activity.
0: That's yeah, I'd read about that about these R- Russian girls who were killing mm-hmm. themselves because of some lunatic that they just arrested. Mm-hmm. That now yeah. that's not good. Amanda, should we be blaming the social media here? Is it the social media that causes the isolation, or is that just an instrument like a telephone or you know a, a two cans and a string? Is it just a medium and an instrument? or is it really the cause of the problem?
2: I, I mean, I think with any technology, you're going to have pros and cons. And, um, I mean, it, it is a lot to do with parenting, as Roman and um, and Jacob were talking about. I mean, you, you got to let... I mean, social interaction, face-to-face interaction is valuable. I mean, we have a lot of kids who don't have these skills just on that level, and then also... I mean, if you looked at that Atlantic piece, uh, even just with millennials and the generation um, you know, right after us, it's, it's a huge discrepancy and, and with depression um, based on just the screen time. I mean, it, it does really affect these kids. Um, I, know, I get depressed. The in- more
0: screen time I have with Jacob Berry, the more depressed I get. <laughs> I should write a study about it. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean like even I mean even as a as a millennial like I'm really addicted to, you know, being on on for my job of course, but I I'm, I'm always on social media and you can kind of get not depressed. But you can get you know caught up in that and not interact with with people, and that's that's not that's not helpful. So we have to just learn how to use these things in moderation. Um, parents need to really be aware of this. Sign your kids up for sports, chess, dance, whatever. Like they, they need to actually interact. It's just it's not it's not healthy, and it doesn't teach them any skills that are actually valuable for future employment and and, and things like that. So
0: yeah, sign them up for a sport or buy them a sex robot. There is <laughs> this brings us to our next story. There is a professor at G. GW law who insists that the time has come for the government to regulate that gigantic problem sex robots. Now if you're unfamiliar, I think a lot of people are probably unfamiliar with sex robots, we have a clip from one of the factories. You can't resist us Mr. Powers.
1: You can't resist us Mr. Powers. Resist us, Mr. powers. Oh, contra, baby, I think you can't resist me.
4: Are you ready Boots?
0: Wow, maybe those should be regulated. That's a pretty good case that we should regulate them. Amanda, what is so dangerous about sex robots other than the guns that are shooting out of their bosom? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really sad that we're at this point, like, this kind of ties into technology, too, and how we're so isolated and that we're going to, you know, people are delaying marriage, they're not getting married, so we need sex robots now. It's really sad. Um, But the, the whole regulation argument was really interesting to me. She said that we could, you could possibly
4: rape a robot. And like, yeah, it's great. A lot of fun. It's
0: a great hobby. Just because
4: they're not saying no doesn't mean they're saying yes.
0: (laughs) That's
4: right. Yeah. How how can a robot consent? Like,
2: if that's the case, like, um, I'm not gonna, you know, be profane here, but. Isn't there a lot of rape going on in the sex toy industry? Like, it's the, I don't understand. Like,
0: there, don't Well, you know, a four-year-old kid can consent to radically changing his body forever, but a yeah, doll can't right. consent to sex. Can't you just read a blog every once in a while, Amanda? <laughs> Get woke. And, and like,
2: she's, this professor was trying to give rights to a robot. I'm like, can we focus on maybe rights of the unborn first and <laughs> then tackle robots? I don't know.
0: Hateful bigot. W- Hateful great. bigot you are. <laughs> Rumming, there is a legitimate question here. I mean, you could have. I don't know if you can rape a robot, but you could make a sex doll that looks like a little kid or or like a rape victim or something. Is there is there any legitimate reason to regulate this industry? Kind of similar to, say, child pornography or something like that, or are we just talking about absolutely nothing?
4: Well, I think there, like when you mentioned anything to do with children, I think there definitely is a uh, reason for this to be regulated. I uh, you know I've heard the argument be made that the, like child dolls might be helpful as a way of sort of releasing any urges without actually bringing a, a real child into it. But I think, you know, if you are someone who's suffering from that affliction, uh, therapy is what you need, not yeah. a child sex doll. So definitely, yeah, yeah. when it comes to...
0: Uh, I don't know which do is more children, expensive, though.
4: <laughs> right, that's sadly There is a true, public but, yeah, health and public cost children, issue. Regulate it. <laughs> yeah. Good point. But, you know, on, on a larger scale, I think... The whole idea of regulating sex robots, it it kind of begs the question, like, what exactly qualifies as a sex robot versus just, you know, a run-of-the-mill sex toy that has mechanical operations? I can't believe I'm talking about We're a run-of-the-mill
0: robot, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We already have little Roomba vacuum cleaners, you know.
4: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean Roomba with like some I don't know alluring eyes painted on, right? Like where where would they draw the line? Be and, you still know, I'm my not beating heart. <laughs> I'm not pro sex robot. I'm just you know anti government intervention. I'd have to side with that in this case.
0: Fair enough, Jacob. The essential question here, though, is why would anyone want to have sex with a robot when there are people? You can all you can also have. it's not just robots you can also have sex with people uh what what is what is the basis for this why are people trending toward this
3: i think it's it's a way of just disconnecting from reality so everyone goes in because of left-wing propaganda you're told oh you can have this you can have that and there won't be any consequences and then they go out into the real world and it's like oh man there are real consequences so then they turn to robots which are complete frauds. And so I think that's what what it has to do with it. It's just a way to escape from real-world consequences when you make a mistake or when you do or when you find out that life is tougher than your than your lesbian dance therapy professor tells you it is.
2: That's interesting. Well, and there's also no there's no social skills. Nobody has any social skills. They can't right. even go on a date. They can't even hit on a girl. Like so it makes sense that robots are the, are the next thing cuz you know, this is this has to do with all the new technology, too. People are so isolated and secluded. It's, it's, it's sad stuff. I, exactly. I think that's a
4: good point, and it's interesting how so many of these sex robot things are coming out of Japan. A culture that is well-documented mm-hmm. for the fact that fewer, people, fewer and fewer people are getting married, going on dates. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think there's an element, you know, I mean, no judgment here, but there is an element of people not being able to interact with each other like we used to be able to.
0: And there was a study that yeah. came out of Japan a little while ago that a number of teenage boys would prefer to look at pornography than to have sex with a woman. They actually preferred sitting in their rooms alone. That's
3: crazy. Oh, my gosh.
0: It does play into this sad. this culture. To quote a great man, sad. It does play into mm-hmm. this culture of objectification, though. It does play into this materialist yeah. culture where, believe it or not, uh, there are spiritual and emotional aspects to sex. It's not just all... Mm-hmm. Playing with a doll or something, but uh, for a materialist culture and a materialist generation, maybe the physical is all that is being considered.
3: Well, the, and to the irony here is one of the biggest criticisms of homeschooling is the children don't get interaction, right? Well, in public schools, they get plenty of interaction, and they're buying sex robots. So you know, I don't. You know, I think that's just kind of a, a ridiculous narrative, you know.
0: How about that? All right, on action and sex robots, I have to say goodbye to you. Get out of here because we have a trans final thought that we need to talk about now. Do we have the Do we have the trans final thought uh, montage? This is a final thought, but it's because it's Book Lovers Day, and we're going to turn it into a sort of stuff I like. I'll tell you about the. Uh, books that I've been reading over the last couple of years and I highly recommend them the first one is poetic diction by Owen Barfield he was an inkling a friend of CS Lewis and uh, all of those other guys he it's a great book it's a theory of knowledge and a theory of language I, this was recommended to me by Andrew Claven who actually reads books I read like two books a decade and he's read all of the books so uh, he's been, we've been evangelical about recommending this book to people it's really good I think especially conservative and people who prefer traditional culture and have an interest in history and philosophy would really like it. So run out there and get poetic diction. The next book I have to recommend is, of course, speaking of Andrew Klavan, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. I read this book right when it came out. I got an advanced copy of it. It's an amazing story of Andrew Klavan's conversion from a secular intellectual Jew in New York to a Christian and a, and he talks about his politics as well and the literature that brought him along that journey. It's really a profound book. I myself am a revert to Christianity. I uh, It was very edifying to read that. And then when you're going to the beach, this book, we gotta give a little love to Ben Shapiro. You all know that Ben can type about 120 words per minute. He also, as you know, speaks about 190 words per minute. And this book flies by. It is such a page-turner, true allegiance. It is a fever dream of Armageddon from a conservative standpoint. It's really entertaining. It's terrific. So when you're going to the beach, I recommend reading that. I promise you, you won't be able to read it as fast as Ben typed it. And uh, speaking of typing books really fast, the final recommendation I have to make, a little self-serving, the reasons to vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide. The most exhaustive Democratic Party apology. It's It's really good. I can't. Even the president endorsed it. He said it's a great book for your reading enjoyment. Even Ben Shapiro endorsed it. He called it thorough. I really think as you gear up for the school year, as you gear up for the fall, you want to edify yourself you want to learn more about our political systems and american history and american political philosophy go out there you also have to get reasons to vote for democrats happy book lovers day i'm glad that we had this lovely trans final thoughts segment i'm michael knowles this is the michael knowles show come back tomorrow we'll do it again